0: Most of the spectrum of frequency that exists in the U.S. is occupied or owned by large wireless companies, cable companies, and by the government. But at least one small chunk of spectrum, low-band spectrum wireless or TV white spaces, so-called because it's the space that exists between television dials, has been somewhat open to the public. There are thousands of devices on the market that take advantage of this spectrum without paying a license fee, allowing consumers to transmit bits without interference from walls, trees, or radiation from devices like microwaves, and without paying for it. But the Federal Communications Commission is now deciding whether to auction off this spectrum to the highest bidder, putting at risk not only billions of dollars in economic activity, but also very fundamental concepts of affordable public access to information space. And on May 15th, just a couple days away from this podcast, the FCC will be holding an open meeting to discuss whether auctioning off this spectrum would be a good idea. Harold Feld, Senior Vice President for Public Knowledge, recently sat down with David Weinberger to talk about why we should be concerned.
1: So the FCC controls all use of wireless in the United States. Uh, and these holes in the, the television band um, were put there because back in the 1940s and 50s when we were developing television, um, the only way to keep television stations from interfering with each other would have these big blocks of empty space between TV towers, um, which is why, uh, you know, uh, if you uh, have a Channel 2 in your market, you don't have a Channel 3 and so on. Advances in the technology made it possible uh, to have people use these holes, these, these empty spaces, um, and to do very productive things with them while not interfering with the existing uh, television broadcasting. Now, the problem is that um, it takes a very long time for the FCC to realize that. So we started back in 2002 um, with something called the Spectrum Task Force, which looked at this initially, and they recommended going ahead. So a proceeding was launched in 2004, two years later, that actually said, we're going to try to have rules that will make this possible. And this was something of a Majorly different way of thinking about wireless. Traditionally, we do this on sort of a national uh, basis. You have a set of frequencies that are for television. You have a set of frequencies that are for cell phones. You have a set of frequencies that are junk bands open to the public. The notion that you would take a set of frequencies that is dedicated to one service broadcast and say, well, but devices are now smart and can know where they are and can know where they can operate safely. Let's let them do that was a real breakthrough. And it was very fiercely resisted um, by two groups of incumbent uh, providers. One were the television broadcasters who were like, there's nothing good here for us. You know, This is our spectrum and this is what you run into a lot in the, uh, the way people think of these things. Technically, nobody owns Spectrum. Technically, Spectrum isn't even a thing. It's, uh, you know, we limit this to avoid harmful interference. But because we have limited this for so long, people who are licensed to have access think of the frequencies as our frequencies. We own them. So broadcasters were, we own this. This is broadcast ban, no trespassers allowed. Uh, And the wireless companies viewed this as potentially competing with their service. And they said, we don't want anybody who doesn't pay billions of dollars in an auction to get access to wireless access because that would undercut our market. So for many years, this was battled out at the FCC. Um, It took until 2008 for an initial set of rules to be adopted. So that was six years from when we first started to look at it. That took a lot, a lot of pushing from tech companies uh, like Microsoft and Google and others who saw the potential in this. Um, then it sort of sat there because the FCC was changing administrations. There were revisions to the rules that needed to be made. There was a um, whole new system of how you set up a database of broadcast television channels so that uh, the devices could check with that to know where to operate and on which frequencies to operate. So we didn't actually have real rules that people could start building devices to until 2010.
2: And you need the database because in different physical locations, there are different TV stations using different uh, bands, right? That, exactly. So, so your, so you know, your normal smartphone, which uh,
1: operates on uh, cell frequencies, and uh, um, you know, uh, has a Wi-Fi chip in it. So I've got my yeah, Galaxy yeah, Nexus from, uh, and I'm signed up with Sprint. So for the Sprint frequencies, this the the phone makes contact with the tower, and the tower tells the phone these are the frequencies we're using um, in this market for wifi it's got programmed you operate on this particular set of frequencies and if you happen to find an open hotspot um then you can function uh, uh using that the way this works which is sort of a combination of the two the tv white space device says okay i'm in a particular geographic Uh, uh, place. How do I know what frequencies I can operate on in the TV band? And they contact this database, which says, okay, you're in Boston. These are the open channels in Boston that you can use. And this is the power level that you're allowed to use because the power level is based on whether you're right next to an active TV channel or in the middle of more than one open TV channel. That took some time to develop. You couldn't start developing and deploying devices. So in the meantime, the wireless carriers were also looking for new uh, um, new uh, wireless capacity, new spectrum. So they came up with this idea of what they call an incentive auction. And that was an idea that we will have an auction of wireless carriers that want wireless uh, licenses. They will pay TV broadcasters to give up their TV licenses, and then the FCC will shape that into a new cellular band. So that's all very complicated, and that has never been done before. Um, Congress ultimately needed to pass a law to make it happen. There was a lot of debate back and forth. Um, the problem with Congress is Congress sees and understands auction revenue, and they don't see and don't understand the value that comes from open spectrum. So despite the fact that a recent study uh, from Colum- from a Columbia Business School professor has shown that the unlicensed economy contributes over $200 billion to uh, the United States uh, economy in uh, 2012 uh, from the sale of devices, not just Wi-Fi routers, but baby monitors and security systems and all these things that use this open, unlicensed spectrum... Um, In addition, there are a lot of other uses where if you didn't have this unlicensed spectrum, you'd have to pay somebody with a license um, to give you the capacity or do without it. Uh, So uh, that's uh, additional cost savings. This stuff is is used ubiquitously, but because nobody is going to pay the U.S. government billions of dollars for it, Congress has a hard time understanding why it exists and why it's valuable, even when they're using it every day.
2: So uh, one of the one of the ways of putting this that I've heard is that. Um The fact that devices in our households conflict because they're using the same open spectrum is, in fact, evidence of the opportunities that open spectrum engenders, and people rushed into it with all sorts of applications, where uh, thus creating the occasional interference between your cell phone, uh, between your household phone, wireless phone, and your your uh, microwave, and the rest of
1: it. Yeah, for those of us who go back a long way with the internet, it's very much like the beginning of the internet. Before the internet came along, if people can remember back that far. We had phone lines, which were these dedicated circuits that had what they call five nines reliability, 99.999%. And here was the internet, this best efforts packet switching thing. And people were like, you're crazy. Nobody's going to put their valuable stuff on a best efforts network. But it turned out that if it was a cheap and ubiquitous network, that for most people, that best efforts was good enough. Unlicensed works the same way. There are some uses that I've got to be protected from interference. I've got to have licensed use, first responders, you know, rushing to a scene. But for most of us, most of the time, especially if you're used to your cell phone, even your licensed cell phone, doesn't work all the time and it's pretty unreliable. So for most of us, this level of interference that you might encounter turns out to be pretty manageable, you know, if you go in with reasonable expectations. So um, we have the same kind of long tail, if you will, in the unlicensed spectrum space that we do on the internet, where it's easy to see a Verizon using licensed spectrum as a big company and people respect that. People don't see all of the billions of dollars worth of use behind that in the long tail, even though if you took that long tail part, it's more wealth and use in the aggregate than the licensed cellular uh, guys. But the licensed cellular guys are more visible. So We have come up with this incentive auction, and Congress struck something of a balance about how to do the uh, incentive auction. So they said you can do unlicensed in certain ways in what are called the guard bands, the space between the licenses. So, okay, that's how unlicensed works. But they also said you can't make those guard bands larger than, quote, technically reasonable. What does that mean? Well, that's part of what we argue about. So the FCC has been designing this incentive auction since 2012, and now we come to kind of the the final culmination. We're more than 10 years since we started to go down this path with the TV white spaces. We are actually now getting. Real equipment deployed, especially in rural areas where this stuff is bringing broadband to places that you normally don't get to see broadband because it's very cheap to deploy. One of the big advantages of open unlicensed spectrum over the licensed spectrum is it's a lot cheaper to make the equipment. It's a lot easier. Um, and because of economies of scale, people buy more of it, so it becomes much more cheaper. This is why your Wi-Fi router in your home will cost you, um, you know, maybe twenty, thirty bucks if you go and buy a cheap one uh, uh, at Best Buy. Maybe eighty bucks if you buy a top-of-the-line one. But your smartphone, which is licensed spectrum, will cost you hundreds of dollars because even with all of the smartphones that are out there, the differences in the economy of scale is just huge. So we're starting to see this now come out and come into development. But we have this incentive auction that's kind of hanging over it. And the FCC is right now working through the rules for how they're going to do the incentive auction. And the big question that has come up is, what are the sizes of these guard bands? And where are we going to put the opportunity to do the open stuff in the new universe where the broadcasters sell back some of their spectrum. And it's a very hard puzzle. It's got a lot of different moving pieces to it. That's the debate is going on right now. And in May, we're going to have an answer. And it's one of these things where it turns out we measure wireless in something called megahertz. The smallest channel we we, we would talk about is like one megahertz or two megahertz. A TV channel is six megahertz. A cellular channel is five megahertz. It turns out that if you make the... Space between cellular channels, what they call the duplex gap, 12 megahertz, you can put a TV white spaces device in there. If you make the boundary between the surviving broadcasters and the, yeah, um, and the yeah, new cellular service 10 megahertz, for reasons it can be smaller, you can still get a full power... TV white space device
2: in there. And a TV white space device is simply a device that takes advantage of this new... Of this open stuff, uh, So why does it need twice as
1: much as a TV band does? That's a very good question, and the difference has to do with the power levels. Um, A TV broadcast station is a huge, blasting... 50,000-watt, 100,000-watt transmitter that is sending out this incredibly strong signal. So you're very unlikely to interfere with it. So I can use a 6 megahertz channel when I've got TV on either side of me. Cell phones, much lower power, much more sensitive. So if I've got cell phone on either side of me, which is the duplex gap, I actually need 12 megahertz in order to get effectively a 6 megahertz channel, because I need that empty space on either side for what they call out of band emissions. Because the signal, you know, you try to block the signal as much as you can, but some energy leaks out. The reason why you can go with 10 as the guard between broadcast and the, yeah, um, and the yeah, cellular system is I can put my, yeah, um, my yeah, TV white space device very close to the broadcast part because that signal's strong it's very resistant to the interference and that gives me the space that I need against the cellular system to not interfere with that system so those are why those numbers are different and what we're really arguing about right now at the FCC is how much when you reclaim the spectrum back from the broadcasters to to uh, make this new band plan for the wireless carriers. Do you go up to the 12 megahertz you need in order to do the yeah, um, the, yeah, the TV white space in the middle, or do you make it 11 megahertz, which is the cheapest way to, uh, to do this, which potentially, and the reason why that one megahertz is so important, is if you can shrink the guard bands, you have more stuff to auction. So the FCC on the one hand wants to auction off as much as possible and not just for the money also to because carriers like T-Mobile and Sprint are don't have a lot of this low band spectrum that they need to compete with AT&T and Verizon. So there's some people in the FCC are saying, well this is very important for competition. We need to get out as much spectrum as we can and hope that T-Mobile or Sprint or some other competitor wins um, and that they offer a competing service. And other people at the FCC and you know, a number of us who care about both are saying, well, well, wait a minute, you have to balance it. You have to have enough to do the open spectrum, too, in a way that makes it something that will work for everybody.
2: And and the open spectrum would – sorry to be basic about this, but the open spectrum would not – would be reserved from the auction? Correct.
1: It doesn't get all – So it it just costs them –
2: it costs them money not to – it costs them billions of dollars to reserve this. Yeah.
1: It costs – this is the question of do you you see this as an investment in the future um, or not? And uh, a number of us have argued that, look, when you look at – how much we get from this open, unlicensed spectrum. And every time we've put more into that open, unlicensed pot, we've generated billions and billions of dollars of new business, of innovative new devices... Whole new business models, businesses that just didn't exist and couldn't exist without unlicensed spectrum, like hotspots in your airports, exist because we made a decision to take some of this wireless capacity aside and make it available to everybody, not just sell it to the handful of companies that can pay billions of dollars for it. Right.
2: So, so this is a, an issue that goes to uh, – depends upon a much larger discussion about – Um, what we think the value of the internet is, what we think the value of competition is or of openness and where we see economic opportunity. These are really fundamental questions that divide, for example, political parties. So how does a question like this get worked through the FCC, which is uh, an agency? It
1: gets worked through in the following way. First of all, the FCC in its administrative process has to start by kicking off a proceeding. So, um, and the, it, to do anything, it has to issue what's called a notice of proposed rulemaking. If it wants to think about something, it sometimes issues something called a notice of inquiry. But in this case, when Congress passed the the law that said you will do an incentive auction, so the FCC issued a notice of proposed rulemaking saying this is how we're thinking about doing it. So all interested parties came in and filed comments and made presentations and continue to make presentations um, into the record um, while this issue is being debated in the FCC. So the first thing is you have a lot of public input. That includes not just technical experts or professional advocates like me, but also anybody who wants to file at the FCC can file, and the agency is required to read these. And while the agency does not Do this necessarily on counting the number in favor or against something and, you know, counting noses. They do take into account uh, because this is Washington, D.C., and in Washington, D.C., everything is political at some level. Um, They do take into account the level of support that's being shown uh, for one particular path or another. Then what the FCC does is they have engineers who uh, work in the uh, agency who will debate these things. They have economists who are shaping the auction rules who will look at what are the cost-benefit trade-offs. And the agency will also uh, – has an internal culture and different um, divisions. So there is a wireless bureau, which – naturally enough thinks much more about licensed wireless. That's their job. You have an Office of Engineering and Technology, which did the unlicensed open rules. So their kind of their institutional bias to some degree is towards more openness. Um, and it falls to the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission and the four other commissioners who will ultimately vote on the order to strike the final balance. Now those are not engineers or economists. They tend to be uh, lawyers or uh, people who are uh, uh, from industry who have a different kind of experience. They tend to be much more attuned to sort of the political Aspects of this. Members of Congress will weigh in for or against. Um, You have a lot of engagement on this issue. Uh, Representatives from places like Silicon Valley, which care about the open spectrum, have weighed in. Um, You have a lot of Republicans who have weighed in on, well, we need money and we got to shrink the deficit. So, you know, as long as anybody will pay a nickel for this, you ought to auction it. Um, And the agency, the chairman will receive a recommendation From the auction team. This has actually been a very broad task force that will look at not just this piece, but kind of all the other pieces in this very complex setup. And he'll make a judgment, the chairman, Tom Wheeler, will make a judgment on what kind of a balance he wants to circulate to the other commissioners. He needs at least two of the other four to agree with him. In order to get a vote, because the chairman has to have a majority of the commission vote in favor of the thing that he puts out in order for it to become law. So there is some room for the commissioners to bargain back and forth.
2: Given that there are two Republican appointees and two Democratic appointees and a a chair who is, in this case, a Democratic appointee, why is there any question about uh, um, Wheeler getting support for whatever he puts forward?
1: Well, traditionally, the FCC has been not caught up in the partisan fights in the way that most things uh, have been, and telecommunications policy generally has been subject to not so much Republican versus Democrat, but to other kinds of differences, urban versus rural, more uh, regulation versus less regulation, uh, consumer protection, less consumer protection. Uh, Some The people who developed the open unlicensed uh, um, TV white spaces in the first place were the Republicans. It was uh, Chairman Michael Powell and then Chairman Kevin Martin, who were Republicans. um, And they said, well, this is really great and it's, it's got a lot of good potential. And they liked the fact that it was a free and open market and said, well, this is better than licensed because licensed is FCC regulation. Unlicensed is kind of open and
2: technology-based. Right. You can certainly see this issue going, uh, being argued either way by the Republicans or by the Democrats. I and mean, It's government regulation. I mean, Republicans traditionally should be opposed to that. So. Yeah.
1: And there's kind of a real politique element that comes into it too. Different industry segments will lobby very heavily and uh, the cable industry is now very interested in unlicensed spectrum, for example. The wireless carriers obviously want more wireless. What, what, why, so
2: can you explain that? Why is the cable industry interested?
1: The cable in- industry has discovered that Wi-Fi, is really a tremendous way for them to expand their footprint and their surfaces. Um, You can't walk down the street these days without running into a Comcast hotspot, uh, for example. And uh, uh, as the challenge of mobility, uh, and the cable operators tried for a while to get into licensed mobile services, and they discovered that they really were not very well suited for that. It was They couldn't overcome the advantages of AT&T and Verizon, um, who already have uh, licenses and have a structure set up. So they sold off their license spectrum, but they discovered that for most of us, We mostly walk around in the streets, uh, you know, in our hometowns or drive to work or uh, uh, go to places where the cable system is set up. And if you have Wi-Fi hotspots that feed into the cable system, that's a pretty good network. So... Cable operators have seen Wi-Fi as a enormous new tool that they can use in their war with the telephone companies over how to keep customers and how to keep customers on their network. Because if you're driving on the bus and streaming your video from Comcast Video on Demand um, through their Wi-Fi uh, footprint, that's money for Comcast. Whereas if you're on Sprint and streaming Netflix, um, then no. Uh, that's money that Comcast is losing. So Comcast and the other cable companies have become very interested in Wi-Fi. That's helped to change the calculus in some ways. Um, Tech companies like Microsoft and Google have been very interested uh, uh, in the open, uh, unlicensed spectrum because they want to see Internet stuff everywhere, uh, and uh, uh, particularly open Wi-Fi things, which will enable them to sell more devices um, that don't have to have approval from the wireless networks to connect. Um, so there is, uh, for those who take the, uh, the cynical view, there's certainly plenty of money sloshing around uh, uh, and plenty of special interests battling it out. Uh, But I will say that one of the things about the FCC is the FCC is not blind to these things. They're not blind to the political uh, consideration, but they do actually care at a fundamental level that these things work. Um, And so there is more of an interest in the merits than a lot of people tend to think of in Washington these days.
2: So where do you think this – what do you think will happen?
1: Well, it's very hard to tell. This this hangs on a knife edge right now because this is complicated because – This involves not just taking a bunch of spectrum and putting it out for auction and deciding based on what you know you're going to have. The problem is you don't know how many broadcasters are going to want to sell. You don't know how many wireless carriers are going to show up to buy. You don't know what they'll pay. So we could get back a lot of spectrum, in which case there'd be plenty for everybody. Or we might get back a very small amount of spectrum for the auction, in which case the the problem of leaving some of that for unlicensed becomes somewhat more complicated. So the... uh, Um, There are a lot of different proposals right now floating around the FCC. I would say um, right now the proposal that is uh, uh, kind of the favorite at the FCC is not very good for uh, TV white spaces. Um, It would keep open rural uh, uses um, where there's a lot of empty space, um, and it would leave some space in – urban areas but really not at this point enough for broadband more for kind of machine to machine communication and other very low bandwidth small channel type applications well, what's
2: an example of machine to machine
1: you know uh, my uh, uh, my refrigerator and my uh, my uh, light systems talking to my smart meter um, and sending this little steady stream of data about uh, whether I'm uh, uh, I've had the lights on long enough that the smart grid device says well you know nobody seems to be home we ought to dim those um, that kind of machine to machine communication
2: it requires much le- much less information being
1: passed exactly because it requires much less information being passed can be done with a much smaller amount of spectrum. And the problem with that from a TV white spaces perspective is if you get what we're asking for, which is to find enough space for four channels in every, four usable channels for TV white spaces in every market, that's a lot of powerful broadband that you opened up. It really... Changes the way in which we're going to deliver broadband it changes it it jacks up all of these open access points open wi fi points to a a way where instead of covering a building or a park you could cover blocks or even miles um in an affordable way um
2: compared to uh what we currently have for uh, open spectrum uh, what's the what's the metric
1: it's hard to compare there was a study that was put in by T-Mobile about the difference between this spectrum and higher band spectrum, um, which was for licensed use, but the physics is still the same where the difference is to cover the same amount of area in rural places. The difference is something like 70, it's 7,400 times cheaper in the low band spectrum than in the higher frequency spectrums where right now we have the unlicensed uh uh, stuff. I mean, that's, that's, that's in rural. It's a huge difference. But in urban also, it's a huge difference because you just drop the number of devices that you need um, by a conservative estimate is about three quarters. Um, so with one quarter the number of devices, you can cover the same area, much cheaper, much more power efficient. Um, so and, this would be a
2: huge uh, yeah. Uh, burst of, of sudden suddenly open access.
1: Right. You may remember there was a period of time in 2005, 2006 when we were first experimenting with this open, unlicensed spectrum where we talked about free urban clouds of Wi-Fi for everyone. And that died off because it turned out it wasn't feasible to do in the frequencies that are open right now for uh, Wi-Fi because the number of devices that you would need in order to cover urban areas effectively was just too much and too expensive. If we have this TV white spaces usable for broadband in this way, it becomes economically yeah, feasible again. And that's just should be an extremely exciting uh, uh, prospect. And that's just the most obvious uses because, again, the virtue of this open spectrum is you can use it for anything that you can think of because it's not limited by any uh, um, any single licensee or single carrier. It's open for everybody to play with. Sort of like the Internet's supposed to be. Right. And this is where, as I say, where, this is what the chairman of the FCC is saying. Uh, Um, is debating, and you've got a bunch of folks going either way at the FCC where they're saying, you know, we need to maximize the amount we're getting out to the carriers. We need to maximize the revenue. We need to maximize wireless competition. Um, Or on the other hand, we need to maximize the innovation we need to maximize cheap broadband we need to uh, um, we need to take just a little bit away from the license side to get a lot more out of the open side
2: if this is on a knife edge and if we are interested as citizens in pushing it one way or the other, what is the single most effective way that we can do that
1: well the the first thing is that uh, in the time that uh, remains, both um, folks at the FCC and your members of Congress need to hear that. This is important that there is support for taking uh, some of this, uh, um, you know, just a couple of, uh, um, you know, megahertz, the equivalent of one channel for the uh, wireless guys and moving it into the unlicensed column makes all the difference between how we get to use this in urban areas. Um, So the first thing uh, is the FCC is an open uh, process. Um, You can... Uh, go uh, to uh, the FCC's website and file uh, comments there. We at Public Knowledge have a petition um, that we've asked people to sign on to and support. We have a little video that explains about Spectrum. This is at uh, publicknowledge.org. And if you click on the link to our Spectrum uh, video, you can see a little video that says in two minutes what I've just spent all of this time trying to explain, uh, and then it asks you to link to sign a petition um, asking the FCC to reserve four channels. Uh, um, you know, we're going to hold that open uh, uh, probably for another couple of weeks until uh, uh, we get close to when the decision will be made. The decision's likely to be made in May, which means the record will close in mid-May. So we're talking about two or three weeks to uh, uh, to let the FCC know. Um, And to let members of Congress know, because the FCC will respond to that pressure. Um, And uh, um, uh, particularly if you're in a uh, uh, district or a state that is represented by a Republican, uh, Republicans have traditionally, uh, uh, not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, but um, traditionally Republicans have leaned more heavily towards auctioning this stuff out. Um, And if Republicans hear that uh, uh, it's important to save some of this for open spectrum, then that can make a real difference. But doesn't hurt to tell Democrats too. Particularly, we've had Democrats who uh, support more auctioning stuff and uh, um, even Democrats who are in favor of more for the unlicensed, it doesn't hurt to remind them that they're they're not alone. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Harold Feld is the Senior Vice President for Public Knowledge. You can find out more about his work and about the upcoming FCC Open Spectrum meeting at publicknowledge.org or our website, blogs.law.harvard.edu/mediaberkman. This episode of Radio Berkman was produced by me, Daniel Dennis Jones, with David Weinberger at the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at Harvard University in Cambridge, Massachusetts.